Kelly, are you good with money? I think that I'm pretty good with money. I've got a couple different retirement plans set up and I do savings automatically every payday. Not not to brag, but I'm probably pretty penny wise. Oh my God. I am horrible with money. I set everything to like just auto pay. Otherwise I would totally forget and get basically everything I own repossessed. I do auto pay as well. It's uh, convenient, but I also... I'm aware how much is being paid every time a payment happens. I just know, is my bank account going up over time or down over time? And then I know, should I spend more or spend less? That that seems like a pretty basic level of financial literacy. Not everybody even gets that far. (laughs) All right. C plus for me. So I have a question for you then. Financial planning question. Okay. Would you consider investing in cryptocurrencies? God, no. No. Why not? I think it's too volatile and too anarchic, too unregulated and new. And I, I feel like the risk is not worth the reward. And I know some people have made a lot of money off of crypto, but I feel like they're the exception to the rule. Well, what about you? Yeah, I think that's what gives me pause is I, I've i got a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out for our less hip listeners. Because there are people that are making so much money off of it. But then there's people that are going to jail because of it. So I, I honestly don't know what to think about it. See, crypto is just <laughs> crypto is just wild. I would not recommend it to others. Well, what I think makes it challenging is it's really difficult to find information about it. And I know you and I have talked about doing an episode about cryptocurrency before. But yeah, it's hard to research and like just get straight answers. Right. It's weird that neither of us really even know anybody who feels comfortable enough with a topic to come on either. I have somebody. If we can get them to agree to come on, I will admit they're a little bit biased because they work in crypto. So they're very pro crypto. Maybe it's a sign they're going to jail soon. (laughs) But I've got somebody. So we might do an episode on crypto. But for today's episode, I wanted to start asking you about it because it's so difficult to find information about it, especially just on like normal media channels. Trying to get real news about crypto is really difficult. It's probably due to the fact that it is so non-traditional and uh, the pace at which it is developing and spreading kind of exceeds the pace at which journalism has been evolving. Mm. And Today's episode, for anybody that happened to not read the title on whatever app you use, is going to be about citizen journalism. And cryptocurrencies and technology in general is one area where citizen journalism is actually really surpassing and kind of like making a name for itself as compared to big media outlets, the CNNs, the Fox News, the etc. Is this the time where I do the obligatory, Josh, what is citizen journalism? (laughs) No, that's after the uh, intro music. Okay. (laughs) Remember that though. So most of the information that I've gotten has come from these little like Substack publications, which is a type of citizen journalism to pre-answer your question. But I don't know, to me, I don't know how serious to take them when the, the forefront reporters on cryptocurrency are called A, Dirty Bubble Media, or B, Doomberg. You're just not hip with the cool kids get with the times man (laughs) okay but for something like cryptocurrency if i was really trying to plan my financial life about it is dirty bubble media 
That, that sounds more like a different type of website to me. Just saying. Is that where I want to get my financial planning advice from? Yikes, now that you say that. Extra, extra, read all about it. Podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. So citizen journalism is at the forefront of reporting around cryptocurrencies and realistically a lot of tech news like artificial intelligence, for example. But it has been around a lot longer than these recent tech advancements and covers a whole lot more news than just the beginnings of the robot uprising. The idea of people passing on information to each other about the happenings in their community is obviously something as old, if not older than humans ourselves. But the term and what we now think of as citizen journalism could be said to have started in 2000 in South Korea with the website Oh My News, whose motto is every citizen is a reporter. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the term citizen journalist, citizen reporter comes from. But now the problem is anybody with a Substack or Twitter account can be a quote unquote journalist. Yeah, I have a Twitter account. We have a Twitter account, and I'm I'm including us in that category. Realistically, what we do here on this podcast could probably be considered in a lot of ways citizen journalism. I would go so far as to say we even do some of our own research. If you do follow our Twitter account, at IndubitablyPod, I put up polls a few times a week to see what the temperature is on many of the current social issues or political issues. And we do. Listeners will be happy to hear do a lot of research and fact-checking on ourselves before we put out episodes on things like, for example, if we tried to do an episode on cryptocurrency, we do try to make sure that the things we say are accurate, especially if those aren't in our typical wheelhouse or typical knowledge base. Yeah, I end up learning so much just preparing our episodes, or more realistically, I end up learning a lot seeing everything you've prepped for our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) But I do have a fear of looking like an idiot or an ass clown, a former coworker of mine said, if I were to say something that's just patently false, there's been many times where we've been recording and we had something not quite right. And we paused and went and researched it in the moment just to be absolutely sure that we had something correct. Or uh, we spent a lot of time before we went through our uh, fossil fuels episode looking up as much data as possible on the different types of fuels and the types of pollution that they caused, we really wanted to represent the story accurately. Mm -hmm. And then we edit all of that out in post to make us sound smart, as if we already knew it all. Yeah, I just knew that green tech is better than petroleum. I mean, I I did know that, but... (laughs) Okay, yeah, I was going to say that that part, I believe. But, you know, what we do on the show, in a lot of ways, we do provide news or information, things like we did episode on psychedelics, which is relatively new, and a lot of different municipalities are having to develop laws about it. A lot of scientific research is being done about it. It's an emerging field similar to crypto. We've talked about Taiwanese independence, which is obviously in the news. A lot of my favorite episodes were trying to expose listeners to new ideas or controversies and help y'all form or develop an opinion. Things like indigenous identity, social credit systems, quiet quitting. And 
I don't know. I think that there's a bit of a responsibility that comes with doing those things to make sure the information we put out there to the best of our ability is accurate and relatively unbiased. As unbiased as it could possibly be for two people who don't have a lot of formal training in the arena of journalism. We have an understanding of some of the expectations of journalism, but neither you or I are like currently writing for newspapers and held to any specific professional standards. We kind of just check ourselves. Mm -hmm. And as we've said uh, from our welcome episode onward, our background is in competitive and or academic debate, though, which there is definitely training about checking biases, recognizing them, being able to argue from both sides. So we like to think we do a halfway decent job. And I think throughout this episode, just to turn the light on ourselves a little bit, um, it's easy for us to examine other people, but we'll be including conversations about ourselves and how we think that we do as journalists, citizen journalists, as we examine other citizen journalists and traditional media as a whole. I can just hear everybody who actually works in the field of journalism going, these ass clowns think they're journalists. <laughs> well, that seems to be what they say about citizen journalists in general. So I, I don't think we're uniquely targeted there. Ask clowns unite. <laughs> <laughs> so for ourselves, some of the questions that we ask as we put this show out, I think are similar to questions that citizen journalists and traditional reporters need to be asking themselves. Three in particular would be one, how do we guarantee the quality of the content we provide? Things like accuracy or comprehensiveness. Two, how do we balance objectivity versus things like advocacy? This could be addressing biases that we've talked about so far, deciding on the level of editorialization that we're going to engage with, and then being clear when we are editorializing as opposed to presenting facts, and also just accountability concerns, securing consent from the subjects of episodes or the subjects of reports when that is applicable, uh, how we interact, not us in particular, but journalists, how they interact with governments or corporations. And in some instances, how do these journalists protect themselves? Well, as I've alluded to, a driving motivator for me to adhere to some sort of standard is I don't want to be caught embarrassed. I don't know if that's a motivating factor for all of journalism, but I hate to look a fool. So I care about the well-being of our listeners, and Kelly just doesn't want to be ashamed. Hmm, looks like I'm the better person today. Eventually, we will have the definitive conversation on who is the better person, and you know it's going to be me. <laughs> Don't want to talk about it, but for today, for today, I am the better person. I also think there's a question we'll talk about today at the towards the end of the episode about how citizen journalists relate to traditional media. Are they meant to be an alternative? Are they meant to be a replacement, supplementary, symbiotic? It's, I think, important for them to understand their role and then important for us as an audience to develop a system that we're comfortable with for how to digest the information that's out there about the world and the events that affect us and the people around us. Maybe that's a good place to start. An argument could certainly be made that journalism is a dying industry. There are a lot of reasons for that from the internet and social media, to shortening attention spans, hello, I watch so much TikTok, to now the rise of artificial intelligence. But I think if you're being honest, in a lot of ways, journalism has itself to blame. 
Yeah. So a lot of the conversation today is going to be about ethics and quality and accountability. And so why don't we start before citizen journalism was even a thing, looking at traditional journalism and the kind of ethical standards that they've put out for themselves. As per the Society of Professional Journalists, the real ones, not the, according to Kelly, ass clowns, (laughs) journalists' ethics are, one, seek truth and report it, two, minimize harm, three, act independently, and four, be accountable and transparent. But are they actually following through on those standards? Some probably are. Some probably are sometimes. Yeah, but there's a human element to this too. The people who are engaging in being journalists are imperfect, fallible humans. And doing this perfectly every single time is probably impossible. Mm -hmm. So let's start with seek truth. Do we think in general that traditional media seeks the truth and reports it? Well, what is the truth? Just blow your mind. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, We'll have to do an episode on that coming up. (laughs) What is truth? Is there truth? I think that the pertinent question here is not necessarily, are journalists lying? Is news lying to you? But what truth are they seeking? And traditional media nowadays, it talks about celebrities, Hollywood gossip. It talks about you know, some scandal that ex-politician is doing. And maybe it ignores things like people dying at the border. It ignores things like democratic uprisings in different countries, election tampering in different regions of the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the question here in my mind is not necessarily seek the truth, are they lying, but seek the truth, what truths are they seeking? And are they doing a legitimate job in informing us on the things that we should be informed about? And whose truth? There's definitely a control of information that happens before it even gets to the journalistic stage. So in general, what grade? Let's grade them. I know we are grouping all of them together, but journalism as an industry, what grade would you give it on seeking and reporting the truth? That's such a difficult question. This is like the world's biggest group project. Ah, a C minus. That's being generous, probably. Okay. Okay. I think that's a fair assessment because I I think a lot of times the stories chosen are either biased or superficial, kind of meaningless drivel fed to the masses to keep us placated, not to get too cynical. Well, sure. But there's also so much information that is vital that is communicated via journalism. And we probably wouldn't have gotten any other way. When there's major environmental disasters, I know that when the major forest fires were happening in the Pacific Northwest in late 2020, I was relying heavily on traditional journalism to report a lot of things like, are there going to be upcoming evacuation orders, things along those lines. And I retreated from a lot of the more non-traditional sources. And that wasn't just about placating the uh, people who like to know what Kendall Jenner is up to. That was about the responsibility of finding information that was vital to communities. And I think related to the second standard, which would be minimize harm. The reality of the situation is information is power. Knowing things or not knowing things can have a tangible impact 
on people's lives. Uh, an evacuation order like you bring up is a is a good example of that. So do we think that traditional media minimizes harm? Does it make the world a safer place or does it make the world a more dangerous place? Well, and I think this question also addresses are people conducting journalism in a way that causes the least amount of harm possible as well? There are ways in which people could get the information that they need in order to do sensational reporting that hurt people. So in terms of doing what's best for the community, focusing reporting on ways that actually help the community and doing it in a way that does not harm people in the process, I'm going to give them a C minus on this one as well. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think we can really answer these two questions. That's why I made you answer instead of me. You're very rude. I don't like that. <laughs> it's hard to generalize the whole industry on those two things. I think there's certain networks and re individual reporters that take those two things very seriously and some that don't. Here's where I do think we can generalize. One, act independently. And two, be accountable and transparent. I would give very low marks to the industry of journalism in general on both of those counts. Right. Act independently in particular would be conduct journalism in a way that is not beholden to outside interests, wherein most of the journalists in America and beyond work for massive corporations that have many different interests in terms of profit motives and what have you. So it's kind of difficult to say they could ever be independent as journalists in those contexts. Right. Those connections could be corporate. Those connections could be political, but the connections are definitely there and definitely swaying the news, which we'll give specific examples of later. And similarly, I think because of that, this accountability and transparency can't happen because they need to make some effort to hide those connections that they have to at least try to appear independent. So this is me armchair quarterbacking it, but I at least am not a huge believer in the ethics of professional journalists when it comes to those two counts. And maybe I'm a little bit extra jaded because I'm in the middle of watching, I know I'm late to the party, Secession right now. <laughs> uh, Succession is a wild show. It's apparently based on the Murdochs, which is... Mm -hmm the company behind Fox News, which we are massive fans of here on Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Obviously, we're generalizing. Obviously, we don't know what goes on behind these corporations. Obviously, from reporters on the ground to the boardrooms of these news channels, it's all going to be different. And we're never going to know exactly what happens. But as citizens and consumers of the news, if we even have the feeling that the people who are supposed to be providing for us our information aren't acting independently, aren't being accountable, aren't being transparent, aren't minimizing harm, aren't seeking the truth and reporting it in good faith, there is a big incentive for us to say, hey, you know what? Why don't we do this ourselves? And I think that's the motivation behind citizen journalism. That's the more appropriate way to react, I feel, than I think how a lot of people react when they become cynical about journalism, which is to just check out. Of the two options, ignoring the media industry altogether and just keeping your head in the sand or taking an active interest in finding out truth and trying to disperse it in some way, I definitely think the latter is at least a more productive choice. Mm -hmm. 
So now that we've been talking about citizen journalism for a bit, Kelly, why don't you ask me the question you asked me earlier? Oh, okay. Hey, Josh, what is citizen journalism? Well, Kelly, it's funny you ask that. (laughs) Citizen journalism, to give background for people that might be less familiar with it, could also be called collaborative media, participatory journalism, democratic journalism, guerrilla journalism. That one's my favorite. Uh, Whatever you call it, it's based upon public citizens playing an active role in the process of collecting, reporting, analyzing, and disseminating news and information. Really, it's self-explanatory in the name. It's all of us being reporters for all the rest of us so that we have a alternative source to our news from the traditional media we've been talking about thus far. Does that just mean we're doing unpaid labor if we're citizen journalists? We are doing community service, Kelly. It's too bad I no longer need to apply to colleges or anything because what's the point of community service anymore? That I'm starting to like really show how awful of a person I am lately. I'm not doing anything for the good of it. I'm what, wondering what's in it for me. <laughs> yeah, this whole Kelly's better person than Josh conversation, it's all a facade. Damn it. So the the motivation for why people would want to either be or consume citizen journalism is pretty obvious. And this is where we come to the questions, though, of we talk about problems with traditional media. What about the citizen journalism? Is it any better? Is it the alternative we should be looking to? And the first question that we listed earlier is about the quality of the reporting. And here's the number one problem with citizen journalism is anybody is a reporter now. With advancements in technology and the prevalence of social media, Anybody can post anything they want and just call themselves a journalist. Doesn't make them a journalist. And I know there are good people out there who would do a good job, but I've also met a lot of people who I would not trust to report things accurately or with any form of integrity. And they can equally be journalists in this context. One of the major problems here is as opposed to traditional media, citizen journalism is completely unregulated, and which is not unique to news. If you go on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, we've got fitness, quote unquote, experts trying to tell us how to get in shape, how to diet. We have photographers and models that just because they have X number of followers, they're a model now. We have people who tell us, here's how to approach mindfulness. Here's how to approach therapy. I mean, anything you can think of, we have experts in it now simply because they have a YouTube channel. Uh, So journalism is not unique in this sense. But they also are exposed to the same degree of criticism as professional journalists, too. A lot of the influencers are starting to face a lot of backlash. I think in particular, another podcast I'd recommend called Maintenance Phase is taking down a lot of the influencer industry and debunking a lot of their claims and kind of taking the wind out of their sails. That's part of the risk of being a citizen journalist. One of the things I kind of alluded to with the fear of being caught in a misrepresentation is that when you start to become more public with the information you're disseminating, you will be criticized and people will have a motivation to contradict you or take you down. That's true, but let's go back to our first ethic from the Society of Professional Journalists, which is seek the truth and report it. And maybe this is a reason for why news channels and then also 
influencers slash citizen journalists are motivated to seek surface level truths is because nobody really gets mad at them. It's easy to keep everybody happy if the news that you're reporting on is, you know, 12 year old pit bull saved from local shelter. Here's pictures of it and its three legs with its happy new owner and its happy new home. It's easy for everybody to like you, but are you really doing your job? You send me that article. <laughs> I'll try and find that article. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. <laughs> and Kelly knows to really expose ourselves here. When we got our first four star rating on Spotify, I kind of lost it. I was like super upset. I don't know if I want to repeat some of the things you said. <laughs> we put a lot of work into this show. We, I don't, I think it's a four star show, but that doesn't mean that they need to rate us a four star show. Yeah, it was a pretty big blow to your ego. I don't, I don't really care. I like getting nice ratings from our listeners, but I don't have that much invested in our Spotify rating. But for Josh's sake, please go give us five stars because he gets really <laughs> sad if there's anything less than that. <laughs> but what I came to terms with was with the type of content that we do choose to put out, things like critical race theory, things like questioning the existence of God, for example, things like the Second Amendment, the topics that we talk about on the show can be very divisive. And at a certain point, we are going to say things that listeners don't like. And that means that realistically, backlash is unavoidable. Um, if, a, if a national audience was listening to Indubitably, there would most certainly be people out there that hate us, Kelly. But we'd be doing ourselves a disservice and our listeners a disservice if we went back on the standards that we brought from debate, which is to do what is logical and correct rather than what is popular, what is likable. And I think journalism is much the same way that when it is done best, you don't care about whether or not you're telling the story that people want to hear. You're telling the story that you think people need to hear. Um, if we were going to talk about controversies that people wanted to hear, we would probably be discussing whether or not Kourtney Kardashian should be having a baby at 44. Like those are the types of things that people are quote unquote debating about online and putting a lot of energy in journalistically to discuss. But that's not the kind of discussion we think is like authentic. Or would we finally cover the topic of whether or not a hot dog is a sandwich? We will cover that topic eventually, and it is extremely critical to the future of food discourse. So I consider it a necessary conversation. Okay, but all of that being said, good job us sticking with controversial topics. But also, this is neither of our jobs, and we are not making a living off of this. We don't rely on this. And I wonder if we were beholden to a profit motive, if we were beholden to stakeholders, if my mortgage was reliant on indubitably being popular, would we still be making the same decisions or would we start avoiding topics that we felt might create some sort of backlash towards us? That doesn't mean that we don't want to make money from this podcast eventually. I want to make that known for the record. <laughs> if somebody wants to pay us a lot of money not to talk about a particular topic, I'm down. So much for your integrity, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one issue in terms of the quality of citizen journalism that needs to be discussed. Another is just the oversaturation. Like I mentioned, 
because of social media, its prevalence, the prevalence and ease of technology, the accessibility of these things, the fitness industry, you can go on YouTube, type in how to get six pack abs, and you're going to have 500 people telling you some legitimate, some not. And the same goes for news stories. And as consumers of the news, when we go to our fellow citizens to try and get information, it's really hard to know which ones we should listen to and which ones we should not. The variety and number of news sources that are out there across different types of media can be extremely overwhelming. But when it comes to traditional media sources, there are still only a few figureheads in specific arenas. Print media, we know who the big newspapers are. Televised cable news channels, there's only a few of those. So we kind of know to pick from like MSNBC or CNN or Fox News kind of end of list. Aside from that, when it comes to all of the other types of journalism that are out there and the non-big threes in any industry, it's overwhelming. And listing some of those major news networks like CNN or like Fox News, I think, leads us to our second question, which is that of biases. And there are a couple interesting charts to go back to traditional media. One is the Ad Fontes Media Incorporated, and two is by All Sides Media, and they have bias charts where they track how left-leaning or right-leaning certain news uh, and media outlets are, and the Ad Fontes chart actually also tracks basically the quality of the news being provided from fact reporting at the top down through mostly analysis or mix of fact reporting and analysis all the way down to contains inaccurate or fabricated information. And we'll link both of these charts on our Twitter and our Facebook as usual at Indubitably Pod if you would like to look through these yourself. I think they are pretty interesting. I'm assuming that if you're a listener of Indubitably, you're probably also pretty media literate. So a lot of the Conclusions that these different assessments have about where news organizations land won't be a surprise to you. But there are some news organizations that we would put as being more notably good in terms of neutrality and accurate reporting, and then some that are more questionable or perhaps bad even in, in, in both of those regards. Mm-hmm. A couple of the notably good organizations that both of these charts list would be BBC, considered centrist by both, The Hill, considered centrist by both, and the Ad Fontes media chart also includes Al Jazeera, which I think is interesting. Um, the All Sides Media Bias chart does not have Al Jazeera on it anywhere. But uh, me personally, if y'all care, I do go to BBC or Al Jazeera as my kind of trusted news sources that I think are less spin doctored than some of the other alternatives? If I'm going to go to a traditional media source rather than something like social media, I typically land first on my public radio station, which ultimately has a ton of programming from NPR. Mm, so this is this one is interesting because both of these charts listed NPR as relatively middle of the road and I'm kind of calling bullshit on that. I think that NPR is very left and trending 
even more leftward. I actually have a hard time listening to a lot of NPR programming now because I feel as though it's very blatantly left-leaning. You know I like to confirm my worldview, so it shouldn't be surprising that I'm going to continue listening to NPR. <laughs> okay, I mean, so do you think that, do you listen to it because you like it, or do you listen to it because you think that it's middle of the road, like centrist reporting? I listen to it mo- mostly for accessibility. All of the other uh, quote-unquote news that's on the radio is extremely questionable, usually very hard in the right-leaning category. And I believe that there is more journalistic integrity in NPR than a lot of other news radio options, even if they are left-leaning. That just kind of tells me that maybe the truth is kind of left-leaning, if you know you think about it. <laughs> I think my issue to to clarify here, I don't think that they say anything necessarily inaccurate. I don't think that they do a poor job of reporting. I think this goes back to the truth seeking. I think that the stories they choose and the stories they forward and the issues they prioritize are often issues that are centered around identity politics and advocacy movements that would more closely resemble left-leaning politics. So it's not that I think that anything on NPR is inaccurate, but I think there is uh, some heavy selection going on in terms of the things that they cover. You heard it here first. Josh doesn't want to hear about minorities when he's listening to the news. Oh, my gosh. I do enjoy my NPR, the storytelling side of it, but I guess I just listen to it with a grain of salt is all. Sure. Yeah, there have been times that I've listened to NPR reporting and thought this is bullshit um, and I don't buy it hook, line and sinker. Hmm. Okay. So notably good. We can agree that BBC, we can agree that Al Jazeera. And one of the things I like about those is the United States uh, is very divided, obviously left to right. So going to international news sources, I think is just beneficial on face value. So maybe that's part of the reason it's easy for easier for them to be considered centrist. The Hill is also considered centrist by both. Forbes is considered centrist by both Reuters, um, the Associated Press. So if y'all want options, according to these two charts at least, but they also say NPR, which half of indubitably agrees with and half doesn't, leave that one up to you. Let's talk about the ones that are bad. Oh yeah, this is more fun. Yeah. I don't think anybody is going to have any doubts about some of the ones that are appearing on the bad list. So let's just get the the low-hanging fruit out of the way. Fox News is absolutely considered very ideological and kind of poor with the factual reporting. Mm. And on the left side, MSNBC would be the counterpart to Fox News. And I think those are the two most mainstream news sources that are on the far ends of the spectrum. And then there's also, if we take the Ad Fontes Media chart that includes not just the leaning of the reporting, but the quality of it, we have things like Breitbart on the right. We have things like the Huffington Post on the left. But even if something has an ideological bent and isn't doing the best job with factual reporting, I don't know that that makes them holistically worthless. Well, and for this show, for example, when I'm researching our episodes that are relatively divisive in a American politics sense. I like going and listening to Kelly's about to quit indubitably. I like going and listening to Ben Shapiro, for example, on the right to hear what the most extreme version of that side is saying on a particular topic and trying to pick out the legitimate things that are said there 
And I like uh, going to Huffington Post sometimes and <laughs> reading some of those articles and trying to pick out some of the legitimate things that are said there. Um, and then, you know, filtering that out and then trying to report back to you all on these episodes, the reasonable versions of those arguments. Right. There's some value for us as more neutral folks to kind of see what is in the discourse on the fringes. But, and I think we've talked about this a lot of times, are those bad news sources reporting what the debate is or are they creating the actual discourse? If they didn't exist altogether, would we even be having some of those really extreme lines of ideology that we can trace back to Ben Shapiro? And so there's an interesting question here for all of our listeners to ask themselves, is the approach that you take to try and find a news source that is centrist so you can trust what they say? Or is the approach you take to listen to one person from the extreme left, one person from the extreme right, and then sort of find the truth in the middle? Or, or some combination of those things. I will never listen to Ben Shapiro. I'm just trying to expand your worldview, Kelly. Okay. I made up my mind about everything when I was like 26, and I have not deviated since. So good luck. <laughs> All right. But I have a fun exercise for you, Kelly, that doesn't require you to listen to Ben Shapiro that I think will help make this bias idea a little bit more real to our listeners. Uh, for some of you who may n- listen to the show for a long time, I do communication consulting for a living, and part of that is teaching kids about communication, and part of that is teaching kids about bias. One of the assignments that I give to the kids is as follows. I want them to go to bbc.com, cnn.com, and foxnews.com and look at the top story on each of those websites. And so I did that myself for this episode. And I'm here to report to you all my findings. The top story on BBC was first images of Titan sub as it is brought ashore. The top story on CNN was an entire section on, quote, rumors of a Russian military purge have begun. And the top article on Fox News was Anheuser-Busch CEO asked point blank if he regrets disastrous Dylan Mulvaney promo that tanked sales. Now, just to be clear about our biases, we've already mentioned, I watch BBC, we're not huge fans of Fox News, and I know that these three collection of articles don't make Fox News look good, but I promise our listeners that literally without checking beforehand at the time of preparing this outline, I went to each website and those are the stories this was not planned and i would invite all of our listeners to do exactly that um, at some point go to each of the websites and just compare what the top story is and i think sometimes to be fair the fox news story might be more legitimate than the cnn one or maybe more than the bbc one especially when stuff like the queen dies who cares well i mean they do have a royal endowment so this assignment has a second part Part one is just to compare the top stories for each of these news sites. The second part of it is to pick one story, so the same subject matter, and then compare the articles on these different news sites. So one of the top stories on BBC and CNN is Trump suing E. Jean Carroll. And I'm going to read quickly 
an article from CNN about this, the first couple paragraphs, and then I'm going to read quickly an article from Fox News about this, the first couple paragraphs. On CNN, Donald Trump has sued E. Jean Carroll for defamation after a jury found he sexually abused the former magazine columnist and defamed her. In a counterclaim filed Tuesday night, Trump alleges that Carroll defamed him when she appeared on CNN the morning after the jury awarded her $5 million in damages. Carol was asked about the verdict, finding Trump sexually abused Carol but did not rape her, as alleged. Carol said, oh yes, he did. In response to the new claim, Carol's lawyer, Roberta Kaplan, said in a statement, Donald Trump again argues, contrary to both logic and fact, that he was exonerated by a jury that found that he sexually abused E. Jean Carroll. She added, Trump's filing is thus nothing more than his latest effort to delay accountability for what a jury has already found to be his defamation of E. Jean Carroll, but whether he likes it or not, that accountability is coming very soon. So, interesting to note there that the first few paragraphs of the CNN article are quoting E. Jean Carroll's lawyers. So that speaks to perhaps only getting one particular side of the story. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to Fox News. First of all, it's interesting. I had to search for this article. It was not on the front page of Fox News at all. I counted how many articles are on the front page of Fox News. 47 articles. So what was one of the premier articles on both BBC and CNN was non-existent in Fox News. So right off the bat, there's a difference. Once I searched it and found it, it says, Former President Trump filed a lawsuit against E. Jean Carroll this week suing for defamation after he says she falsely accused him of rape. The lawsuit comes after a federal jury in New York decided last month that Trump was not liable for rape, but was liable for sexual abuse and defamation. The former president has been ordered to pay $5 million. Trump vowed to appeal the ruling. The former president and 2024 GOP frontrunners legal team said E. Jean Carroll wantonly and falsely accused Trump on multiple occasions of committing rape, saying those claims constitute defamation. Trump's lawyers, Alina Haba and Michael Maddow, who filed the lawsuit this week, said the rape was clearly not committed, pointing to the jury verdict last month. Haba and Maddow said that Carroll's repeated falsehoods and defamatory statements have brought significant harm to Trump's reputation, which has yielded an inordinate amount of damages sustained as a result. Kelly, do we notice anything different about this? Well, by golly, Josh, they were only quoting Trump's lawyers. That's one big difference. Do we notice any other? There's two other differences I think are subtle, but important. Well, I think pointing out that Trump is the front runner for the potential GOP candidacy for president next year is not an accident. Mm-hmm. In the CNN article, he was referred to as Donald Trump or Trump only. In the Fox News article, he was former President Trump. He was, again, the former president and, as you just pointed out, the 2024 GOP frontrunner. So the way they refer to him, also different. And then one last thing that I thought was subtle. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I'm not sure if I picked up on it. The CNN article starts by saying that Donald Trump did sexually abuse E. Jean Carroll and says the verdict found that he did sexually abuse E.G. Carroll, and then says, but did not rape her. The Fox News article starts with the idea that he was not liable for rape, and then follows up with the idea that, yes, he was liable, 
for sexual abuse and defamation. And I think the flipping of the ordering of those two things, which comes first, the guilt or the innocence, is a subtle but intentional decision made on behalf of each of these news organizations. Very, very tricksy. <laughs> anyway, so both of these assignments, looking at the top news articles of the websites and also just picking a similar story on various news sites and really looking through it and thinking about how these organizations deal with it, I think is a worthwhile use of time for our listeners if they have such time to spend uncovering biases of traditional media outlets. It's probably a better use of your time than what I've been doing with mine, which is nail polish. Bias on TikTok. I have been doing so many book reviews on TikTok. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That does bring us to the next question then. If this is an episode that is comparing citizen journalism to traditional media, obviously traditional media is biased, but are the biases of citizens any better? My immediate reaction is doubtful. Are they any worse? Perhaps. I, there's a there's two ways we could look at that. One, their personal biases, which are unchecked by any sort of employment agreement or any sort of organizational standards, could be uh, totally unchecked. But being outside of any sort of formal organization may mean that they are more capable of adapting to new information and flexing the narrative to uh, take into account new facts that they've learned or, or things along those lines. So I think it probably comes down to the individual. I know we've been generalizing a lot when we look at the industry as a whole, specifically with professional journalists, but I think it just is going to come down to each person as a citizen journalist. Mm. So maybe the answer here once again is as consumers of information, we have a responsibility to try and sift through the biases that the sources of our information might be influenced by. But it might be more difficult with citizen journalists because when they don't have an obvious employment or sponsorship or political tie to any specific ideology, they could probably mask that really easily. We we don't really have the same level of visibility into their thought process. Right. And also somebody with a Substack subscription that caters to a very specific audience, I think that they have the capacity to run further in one direction if their audience also trends that way. Whereas just the size of the audience for an industry like Fox News or CNN might have a moderating effect. Might. Well, Maybe the most obvious recent example is Tucker Carlson getting kicked off of Fox News or Alex Jones falling from grace, if he was ever in grace. They became a risk to profitability. Exactly, though. There is that check that exists on traditional media. Do you think that same check exists for citizen journalists? Well, no, they can't get fired if they're basically self-employed or self-motivated, but People still get to decide what they listen to, whose opinion they're going to take into account, what what substacks they subscribe to. So there is going to be some sort of a market force that lends towards some people being more highly regarded in this space than others, (laughs) probably due in part to how attractive they are, if we really want to be cynical about it. We are very attractive on Indubitably. That's why we have such a large listener base. That's why... We're exclusively in audio format. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, 
We said we would also be turning the light on ourselves, Kelly. How are we doing at balancing out bias as we sit and rant about the right and Fox News and Hunter Biden, <clears throat> Kelly? <laughs> How are we doing at managing bias on Indubitably? Obviously, I do a lot of tongue-in-cheek pointing to my own like leftist ideologies, but I feel like when we're going through our actual topics and doing things like our adjudication episodes where we take a look at an issue comprehensively from multiple sides, we are doing our very best to represent prominent and valid sides of an issue as fairly and charitably as possible, even when those ideologies don't line up with our own. I think in particular, our gun control episode is a very big testament to that because everybody's got pretty strong feelings about gun control. And to approach a topic like that with a very fair assessment of multiple sides of that issue takes effort when that kind of contradicts your worldview. Hmm. Yeah, here, here's what I'll say. I'll say that we definitely put a lot of thought into it and a lot of effort into it. So I agree with you there. I think that two things. One, we are both uh, to varying degrees on the liberal side of the spectrum. And I do think we have a tendency to slide in that direction a little bit. But then I also think that we, because we're constantly looking for it, catch ourselves and re-neutralize as often as possible. Mm -hmm. I think you do the best job of checking that. You've not only had Monday morning quarterbacking conversations about, hey, like, let's try to do a better job of looking at this issue more equitably from multiple sides. But you've also told me that on our Twitter, I can't get into as many arguments with Republicans anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so not saying we're perfect at it. We we do slide, but then we're conscious of it. And I think that that's a, an important thing. So good job us of, for at least catching it. And then two, I think something we could probably do better is when we are exploring ideas that we fall in line with, I think we're very excited about it, very enthusiastic about it. And sometimes when we're exploring ideas that we don't necessarily agree with, I think sometimes we just sort of give them lip service, here's the idea, and then move on. And, and we're not as passionate with our examination of those particular ideas. We do present the arguments that we don't agree with, but perhaps we could nurture them a bit more fondly than we do <laughs> the arguments that, that fall on the side that we typically align with. Yeah, we can probably do a better job of that. That's true. All right. From now on, we fix it. From now on, we'll be perfect. We're not as bad as NPR, though. Mm. Obviously, every news organization, even BBC, Al Jazeera, which are considered centrist, have some sort of bias. And we've talked about the harms of bias. But in some instances, is bias necessarily even a bad thing? Sometimes the effort for balance obfuscates the truth. And the climate change, quote unquote, debate comes to mind here. Ensuring that both the left and the right are covered in a news article about climate change brings climate change deniers onto shows and makes it seem as though there is a balanced debate happening when in reality, 97% at, at least of scientists do believe that climate change is real and man-made. So in that instance, a biased presentation of facts is actually a more accurate presentation of facts. 
So you and I both agree that there is some sort of value for bias in some particular circumstances, not necessarily every circumstance, but it does aid in more truthful reporting on serious issues. And it can also aid in the reporting of things that are a little more unserious when we're looking at more satirical journalistic endeavors, such as, you know, The Daily Show, John Oliver, Realm of the World. Yeah, and I think I've said on the show before, John Oliver is one of the places we go to get ideas or to do some research. They have legitimate information on legitimate controversial topics on that show. Yeah, I've always found it very impressive that they were able to make some points with a lot of humor and a lot of satire, obviously. What's important about these shows, I think, is that they acknowledge their bias. I've never heard NPR come out and just say, hey, yeah, we're on we're left leaning. I've never heard Fox News admit we are super conservative. But John Oliver, John Stewart, Trevor Noah, these people all say, hey, these are our views. We're not trying to hide it. So take what we say with that in mind. And I feel like that improves the quality of the reporting because then they aren't spending half of their time trying to affix their veneer of neutrality, and they're just getting straight to the heart of the issue that they're trying to present. All right. So the the range from traditional media to citizen journalism is certainly not clear and bifurcated. It's a spectrum. But certainly this new form of journalism done by people like you and me and the citizens around us is becoming more and more prevalent. And as we ask how it compares to traditional journalism, I think that maybe the most important question we could be asking is, is the world better or worse now that people are getting their news from social media outlets, the internet, things like Facebook, Twitter, Substack, etc.? Categorically worse. Yeah, but I think social media is inherently the problem here and not necessarily the people who are trying to put out the news. The algorithms try to feed you. And we talked about this, I think, in our very first episode about how media and social media in particular feeds into bias to try to get people to stay engaged, where you start to see something that you sort of agree with and you watch the whole video or read the whole tweet or what have you. And then you start getting more recommended tweets or videos that uh, kind of are tangentially related, but maybe a bit more extreme. And then over the course of like 24 hours, you start getting exposed to, in some cases, like Nazi propaganda. That is not a citizen journalism issue. That is corporate algorithm, profit motive, evil Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg shit going on. That's the real problem. I'll make an argument here that the world has gotten better, at least in one particular way. And that is internationally, right? Outside of American politics, citizen journalists are actually doing a lot of good. In some places, traditional media just doesn't exist, or it's state run, or it's censored. And citizen journalists, uh, to great risk to themselves, oftentimes, are providing information that we would not get otherwise. This could be anything from the tsunami of 2004 to Iran's election protests in 2009 to more recently in China. There were citizens in the Wuhan province that were leaking videos 
about the happenings there and informing the rest of the world as to what was going on inside of China as each of these governments, China, Iran, etc., are trying to censor information. In those cases, citizen journalists are the only journalists that we have. Absolutely. And I do appreciate them for taking a lot of risks in a lot of cases to get information out so that the world is informed about what's going on. I just wish that they had platforms to do that where it wasn't dependent on how engaging their content was, whether or not I'm ultimately going to get to see it at the end of the day. Hmm. But that sounds like you mentioned before, more of a problem with the social media platforms and less a problem with the actual journalism that's being conducted. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And traditional media is also in large part disseminated through those same platforms. So if we got to get our news from somewhere and it's going to happen on Twitter, for example, do we go to CNN's Twitter page or do we go to Dirty Bubble Media's Twitter page? The hard choice. There's also one citizen journalist who's reporting on FTX and cryptocurrency to circle back to our intro, who is called CoffeeZilla. Yeah, I that sounds pretty credible to me. <laughs> Kelly's like, that's all it takes. I love coffee. All right. So Kelly, at the end of this, what do you think about the problems with traditional media? And do you think that citizen journalism is a solution that could replace legacy media? Do you think it's there to supplement or enhance the CNNs, the Fox Newses of the world? Or do you think it's maybe a symbiotic relationship between the two? I definitely lean towards symbiotic. I know that a lot of people who do their own reporting, citizen journalists or people who just post about something that happens locally on social media, end up having that wind up on traditional media. And traditional media is relying on citizen journalists in order to help broaden what stories are available to them. I worry about the exploitation of citizen journalists. Um, for instance, there was somebody a few years ago who from a passenger plane took a photo of a space shuttle launch. And because it was on Twitter, people were able to just take it. And she didn't have the rights to the photo and didn't get compensated when it was published in other media. So I do worry that if citizen journalists are putting things out there, that they're not being properly credited and they're not being properly compensated. And in order to be truly symbiotic, there needs to be some sort of consent and agreement and compensation. Citizen media, citizen journalism is incredibly vital for finding out information on community levels especially because local media is one of the areas that's struggling the most, like local print journalism is struggling quite a bit in a lot of the nation. And sometimes citizen journalism is one of the only ways that people can find out really critical time-sensitive issues. And in a lot of ways, I think that kind of information is the one that really tangibly can impact your life. Everybody's caught up in these ideological struggles in politics and what did Hunter Biden do? But at the end of the day, that's not really going to affect us. But the community level stuff is the is the stuff that we could actually see the results from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I talk about TikTok a lot. 
But there is a TikTok creator in Portland who reports a lot on a lot of development issues that are happening and how there's a lot of displacement for unhoused people as a result of that. But we probably would never see published in local papers or put on local television. But it affects human beings on a very big scale when we're talking about the increased issue of lack of services for the unhoused populations in Portland. So I don't know how we would even know about that without citizen journalists. And if you have a care for how your community works and operates and treats the least privileged people within it, I think you have to have some sort of access to citizen journalism to get a better micro view of what the issues on the ground actually are. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about development, for example, I guess the bigger you get, whether you're any kind of corporation, any kind of politician, any kind of media site, the more likely that you are tied to some sort of financial backing. And to go back to our society of professional journalists, independent action is very important here. And so keeping the actor small, like the unpaid co-hosts of Indubitably, uh, keeps them free from influence and perhaps gives a greater level of credibility to the reporting that they're doing. It's easier to trust it because whatever motivations they have, at the very least, it's not corporate or governmental. So it sounds like you also see the value of citizen journalism, but in some sort of way that continues the existence of traditional journalism. For, for me, the most important thing is that as consumers, we're aware that there's always going to be a motivation. There's always going to be bias. There's always going to be limitations to quality, whether that is a podcast like ours that is very small. We do most of the research ourselves or we try to bring guests on or a news publication that's so large that they're limited in terms of the scope of what they can cover, or there's certain topics that are probably off limits for them, just being as a consumer, just being aware of those limitations. And as you listen to your various, whether it be citizen or traditional journalists that you're getting your news from, uh, trying to keep that in mind as you collect information, to me, that's probably the most important. So I suppose, yeah, symbiotic relationship, they supplement each other. People should listen to both, but listen to neither dogmatically question everything trust no one listen to rage against the machine you're good <laughs> <laughs> obviously in an episode where we advised everybody to apply a level of scrutiny to any form of media they're consuming do not take anything we say at face value either in fact i think it would be pretty cool if people went back and examined our episodes for bias and called us out on it and maybe made us reassess how we've approached some topics. And maybe we'll even do some, I don't know, corrections in the future. So if you have any thoughts about how we can improve our issues of bias and uh, lack of transparency, you can let us know at uh, Twitter and Facebook at Indubitably Pod. We very much cherish being yelled at by our listeners right after you give us our five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yeah, even if you think we have a bias issue, please give us that five-star rating. I do not want to see Josh cry again. <laughs> and you can let us know on All Sides Media Bias Chart where Josh and Kelly lie. Uh, Kelly, where do you think we I are? I think we're the highest level of journalistic integrity and accuracy and like smack in the middle ideologically. Oh my God, I'm not even going to justify that <laughs> response.